morning. How many of you are happy that you have freedom? Okay. How many of you are happy you have Bibles? God's Word, all right. You know, uh, Thursday night I was at the Noriega's house. They have their every other week meeting with international students, and Marshall gave the international students an assignment. He said, go out and just meet one of the Americans and find out, you know, what they do for a living. Find out, I can't remember what else. Find out, Marshall, are you here? What was Their name, that's important. And just one word to describe them. I think that was their assignment. So uh, a young man named Sam approached me, and he said, uh, so what do you do? And I, he said, I'm a pastor. And he goes, oh, what's that? Well, I teach, I teach the Bible. And he goes, oh, the Old Testament and the New Testament? And I, this, and I said, yes. He, goes, he said, you know, I just got a Bible my first time. I had never seen a Bible before in my life. I just got one. Sam was from China, and he had never, he had just arrived here not too long ago, and he had never seen a, a Bible before. And that hit me. Man, what a blessing it is to be born in this country. What a blessing it is that we have people that protect our freedoms. And tomorrow's Veterans Day, and so I just wanted to honor the, the veteran. So if you're a veteran in our congregation, I know, I don't know of all of you, but I know of two of you, so if you'd just stand up, the veterans, Terry and Jeff. And... Thank, thank you, guys. Uh, God is ultimately sovereign over our freedoms, but God uses his people. He uses uh, the armed services to protect our freedoms, and I, I, I thank you, and we thank you for that. Today we, we come to the final chapter of the book of James, the, the fifth chapter. If you remember last week, we saw that, that our, life, our life is a what? Do you guys remember a... You know, I, I didn't bring my squirt bottle this week, but we're a mist. And that life that's a mist is, is to be lived in submission to a sovereign God, a God who is in control. But James recognizes that from our perspective, and we recognize that from our perspective, life uh, just doesn't seem like a mist, does it? We live day by day, moment by moment. Life can be hard and life can be drawn out. The saying goes, time flies when you're having fun, right? But isn't the opposite true? Time drags when you're going through trouble, when you're going through suffering. In this life, we face struggles and difficulties, and we face suffering. And we need faith that perseveres through difficulties. So in this final chapter, James encourages this perseverance. In the midst of life's pain and suffering, in the midst of injustice... We're called to persevere, to hang in there, to trust God. And James has two main points that we'll cover in these first 11 verses. Next week, he's got another thing, and we'll talk about that next week. Two related encouragements for us to persevere in our faith. The first is the fact that even though injustice is all around us, James says, persevere... God's judgment is coming. Persevere, God's judgment is coming. Verse 1 of chapter 5, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. 
come now. Pay attention. Listen up, James says. Miseries are coming. Judgment is coming. Well, that's encouraging. Now, in verse 1 and then in verses 2 through 6 that we'll look at, James singles out the rich. The rich. Those who have wealth as those who will experience experience miseries to come. And this is probably because the rich were the oppressors. It was the rich who were acting unjustly to the poor. And since this letter was written to Christians, James writes these things to encourage the, 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 the mostly poor believers, believers who had had to, remember, they had to flee Jerusalem because of persecution. Now they're out there trying to make their way, and they're experiencing injustice in this world. James is saying to the church, I know you're experiencing oppression from the rich, but persevere. God's judgment is coming upon them. God isn't blind to what's going on. Now, before we go any further, I want to point out that James is most likely speaking about rich unbelievers. He never calls them brothers. He doesn't give them any instruction. He only tells them to weep And how? Because miseries are coming. Miseries coming your way. And we also need to note that these verses don't condemn wealth in and of itself. James isn't saying that you'll be judged for having wealth. You will be judged, however, he says, for your sinful use or lack of use of your wealth. So if these verses were written to encourage first century Christians that judgment would come to their rich oppressors, how do they apply to you and me? We don't live in the first century, and for the most part, I don't think we're being oppressed by any rich people. We know that in the first century, there were the, the most of the, the early Christians were not rich. But there were some rich Christians. You remember even in the Gospels, Joseph of Arimathea, a follower of Christ who, who was wealth off. Some were wealthy. And even though verses 1 through 6 are addressed to the unbelieving rich, I believe there's a clear warning to rich believers as well. To rich believers. Rich believers in the first or in the 21st centuries should not live like rich unbelievers. Does that make sense? There should be a a difference. And just so we're clear, if you have a roof over your head, food in your stomach, if you have clothes on your back, not to mention cars and TVs and cell phones and iPads and computers and health care, and if you're complaining about the health care, then compared to most of the world, you're incredibly wealthy. And therefore, we need to heed. We need to hear and we need to heed the warnings given to the rich. Because believe it or not, we, for the most part, are the rich. We need to ask ourselves, are we behaving like rich unbelievers or do we live differently? Do we live differently? And in these first six verses, James lists lists four specific ways the rich unbelievers were behaving. Four reasons. He calls it evidence. Evidence that would condemn them before God. We need to hear these as warnings to us, I believe. 
We need to understand that God does not want his children to behave like the rich who are going to be judged. So James writes first, he's coming to judge those who hoard their wealth. Judgment for hoarding wealth. Verse 2, James chapter 5, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Again, God, James doesn't write anything about judging for gaining wealth, but for what is done, or in this case, not done with the wealth. James says, They were laying it up. They were storing it away. Or as the NIV puts it, and I think rightly so, they were hoarding it. Have you seen that TV show, Hoarders? Unfortunately, I have. It makes me ill most of the time. But we get the idea. Just keeping stuff for the sake of keeping stuff. Now, when the stuff is newspapers or toilet paper or soap or I'm sorry, I'm going to go here, or is that, that show, one time showed someone hoarding their own urine? And everyone agrees, everyone agrees that that is just crazy. But if it's wealth you're hoarding, if it's wealth you're hoarding, then our culture says, good for you, way to go, good job, save it up, store it away. But James says something different. They were hoarding their possessions, their garments, their gold, and their silver, And it was rotting away. Now, if you know anything about metal, gold really doesn't corrode like other metals. But I think that's the whole point. Even what we think will last, even what our culture says, oh, this will will stand, this will be good, this is a perfect investment, even the most precious thing in the world will burn up and corrode. And instead of using their wealth for good, they were hoarding it away. And James says, this is evidence against you. This is evidence that will condemn you in God's heavenly court. Moths are eating away at the clothing you've you've stored. Clothing you didn't need. Clothing you may never wear. While others around you have nothing to cover their bodies. Nothing to keep them warm. Now that's crazy from God's perspective. And James adds that that like the the gold and the silver that will perish, your flesh too will be eaten away. This is serious, serious business. You've hoarded. You've kept it all for yourself. Not because you need it. Not even because you're using it. Just because. I don't know why. It gives you security in this world. It means you don't have to trust God for your future. It gives you a sense of accomplishment. It's something that feeds your pride or your ego. I have a lot of stuff. I don't know. And James doesn't say. But but what he does say is that when the judge comes, it's going to burn. It's all going away. And the hoarder will burn right along with it. Your hoarded wealth will testify against you. Isn't this hoarding, this this hoarding, uh, in many ways, the picture of of the American dream. Store it up so you're set for life. Eat, drink, and be merry because you've got all you need and more. That's what we seem to be after in our culture. But that's not what Scripture teaches. And again, James was taking his cue from Jesus. 
Jesus who said in Matthew 6, verse 19, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. I think James knew what Jesus taught. Don't hoard your earthly wealth because it will not last. It will be eaten by moths. It will rust. It will be stolen. But instead, verse 20, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where Thieves do not break in and steal. There's an alternative to earthly hoarding. It's heavenly storing. Simply put, and we could spend some time on this. This isn't James' topic, so we won't spend a lot on it. But simply put, the way to do that, the way to store up heavenly treasures, heavenly wealth, is to use your earthly wealth, your your treasures, your time, and your talents for heavenly purposes. Give to those in need. James talked about the widows and the orphans, the poor and the needy. Give that the gospel might go forth to the nations. Support your church and and missionaries. Give that others might have an opportunity to enter the kingdom of God. Give with your time and your talents, your wealth. For where your treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart will be also. If you hoard your wealth then you demonstrate that your heart is all about you. Just a selfish heart. You demonstrate that your heart has been untouched by the love of God. And the result will be judgment. We need to be, a church, we need to be very wary of storing up treasures on earth. And I'm not saying, and I don't think James or Jesus is saying that, that you should never save anything. That we shouldn't prepare for the future but we clearly, clearly need to be very careful. We need to take these words seriously. James and Jesus don't make exceptions. We need to take these words seriously. We need to ask ourselves, am I saving responsibly for what I will truly need? Or am I hoarding more than I can ever use, than I should ever use? Really, the question is, am I using the blessings that God has given me and, and we can't be mistaken about this. Just being born in this country is a blessing. Am I using my material wealth for selfish purposes or for the purposes of God? Am I hoarding or am I using, am I sharing, am I giving what God has graciously given me? So the first judgment is coming to those who, who hoard away their wealth. Second, judgment is coming to those who Cheat their workers. Cheat their workers. Verse 4, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. More evidence. Now this was written in in an agrarian society, farming, main industry here. And to farm you need land. And the land was in the hands of just a, a few a few people, these powerful landowners would oftentimes neglect the, the wages of their workers. The workers were poor and oppressed by the landowners. And if they didn't receive their wages, that would mean they would go without daily food, daily sustenance, daily water, shelter. The, the rich were hoarding their wealth and cheating their workers. And verse 4 goes on, and the cries of the harvesters, these, these workers have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Their cries have reached God. God is saying, I, I know 
You're surrounded by injustice, but trust me. Your cries have been heard by by me. God delights in showing his power and his greatness by hearing the poor and coming to their aid, hearing the oppressed and meeting their needs. He delights in defending those who are needy. And he will judge those who hoard and those who cheat. Third, judgment is coming to the self-indulgent. Judgment for self-indulgence. Verse 5, you've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. We need to let that soak in for a minute. You've fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Like, like cattle stuffing themselves on food just before they go in to be killed. This is, to me, a picture of those who continue to seek after every, every luxury, every new thing. They continue to want more and more and newer and better and bigger. If you, if you can't afford it, and sometimes if you can't, you, you still get it. Why not? It's, it's my money. I earned it. I deserve it. That's certainly what the world says. The world says to seek your fulfillment, your satisfaction, your happiness, and piling up more stuff. The, the guy with the most toys wins, right? I hope we know, I hope we know that those things will never satisfy. I know it. It's never satisfied me. So there's always a, a, a new version. If people were satisfied with that, what they had, we wouldn't need the, the newer version, the bigger and the faster. The earthly stuff just never Ends. You'll never be satisfied with the things of this world. Self-indulgence is just an exercise in futility. It's trying to grasp hold of the wind. And it will end in a day of slaughter, in, in judgment, James says. Because instead of using the wealth that God had graciously allowed them to earn for his purposes, they chose luxury and self-indulgence. You choose self over God and others. And it all leads to this final indictment for the wealthy. Fourth, judgment is coming for condemning people. For condemning people. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist. In their hoarding and cheating and luxury of self-indulgence, they were condemning, murdering innocent people. I was struck with what one commentator wrote about verse 6. He said, in the Jewish world, to deprive a person of their support was the same as murdering them. So what James is implying is that to to deprive the poor, to hold back from the poor, is equivalent to murder. This made me think of just how wealthy our culture is that we live in. In our world, thousands die daily because they don't have food and water or shelter. And the biblical reality is this. When we hoard and cheat and engage in self-indulgence, we're condemning people to death. And judgment is coming, James says. Now I remind you that that this is a word to the unbelieving rich, right? There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, hallelujah. So take that to heart. But at the same time, we need to pause for a minute, right? And just ask if we're guilty of the same kind of things that God is going to judge these rich unbelievers for. Are we hoarding our wealth? Are we cheating our workers? Are we cheating anyone, for that matter, out of what they deserve? 
so that we can keep more for ourselves? Are we living in luxury and self-indulgence? Are we doing these things and ignoring and ultimately killing the poor of this world? These are matters for, for really serious contemplation. I mean, this is something you need to take before the Lord. You need to take before the Lord your, your wealth, your finances, what you do with it, how you spend it. That's his, his business with you. He's given it to you. You're his steward and you're responsible for what he's given to you. We have to fight the temptation to join in with our culture to pursue wealth for the sake of wealth. Instead, I would encourage you, and, and, and it's coming back at me, I would encourage myself to store up treasures in heaven. Let's not be worried that we're going to not have enough for ourselves. Let's live for the sake of, of those who are in need. Let's trust God for our future. Really, that's the whole point. It's oftentimes the whole point. It's trusting God. Are you trusting wealth or are you trusting God? And James is saying to the poor who are being oppressed, trust God to judge those who are oppressing you. He's going to right every wrong. But it doesn't always seem that way, does it? Sometimes the evil in this world is is overwhelming. War and crime and sexual immorality and greed is everywhere. Some things we hear about and some things we we never do. When I was preparing this message, I just decided... uh, uh, to do a little experiment. I get my news on my iPad. I'm rich. So I decided to open it up and go to my CNN app and see what was happening in the world. The headline story, I didn't go far, it was just the headline story, was about a letter found in a $29, quote-unquote, totally ghoul Halloween toy set purchased at Kmart. Maybe you've heard, of, heard this story. The letter was written in broken English, and it detailed grueling hours of verbal and physical abuses, as well as torture that inmates making this product had to endure in a place called Man San Jing Labor Camp in China. The author was crying out for help and wanted whoever purchased this product to, to pass the letter on to, quote-unquote, World Human Rights Organization. And this is just one example. One example of stuff that's going on in our world that we oftentimes don't even hear about. The evil, the injustice, the atrocities in our world. And, and when we hear of these and other atrocities, we can identify with the, the martyrs in the book of Revelation. Revelation 6.10, they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? How long, sovereign Lord? How long will will we be oppressed? How long will oppression and injustice continue in our world? And James replies, be patient. Persevere. The Lord is coming. Verse 7, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. When we see injustice in our world, when we see the rich oppressing the poor, when we face pain and suffering in our own lives, we're called to persevere, to be patient and wait for the Lord's coming. James then goes on to give three examples of perseverance. This is our call, guys, to persevere. He does this to encourage us to be patient in this world. 
be patient in personal times of oppression and suffering. He begins with the the patience of the farmer. Next part of verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Be patient like the, the farmer. Be patient like a farmer waiting for his harvest. In an, in an agricultural society where weather is not just something that happens, something to ooh and awe about, but something that determines weather, get the pun, weather determines weather, you live or die. Weather is important. You're dependent on the rains. If there's not enough rain, then there's drought, no crops. If there's too much rain, there's rot, no crops. Or, or if there's a number of other weather conditions... I remember one year being in Nebraska on Christina's uncle's farm. In the distance, there were gig- it, was, it was getting close to harvest time. And in the distance, where there was giant, billowing, black clouds. The wind was blowing hard, and, and we had heard there was hail over there. And the storm was coming this way. There were hail and tornado warnings. We were supposed to be in the basement, by the way, but us Californians needed to see this. But the surprising thing to me was that Christina's uncle, the farmer, was hoping the hail would hit his crops. Why? Because he'd make more money for the insurance than than he would in selling his crops that year. Not to mention the fact that it, it was a lot less work to just get that check than to have to do all the harvesting. Now, in James's day, farmers didn't have any insurance programs, they didn't have any government subsidies. If the crops failed for any reason, then the farmer was in big trouble. He needed the right amount of rain at the right time. And he had to be patient because because he had no control over the weather. James says, that's the way it is with the Lord's coming. And that's the way it is when injustice surrounds you. You're walking through suffering. You're walking through trouble. Be patient. There are things you can't control. There are things that are totally out of your control. You must trust God who's in complete control. Then he assures his readers, like the farmer who trusts the Lord, trust that the Lord will bring rain, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, this is verse 9, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. You can't control when the Lord will come. You can't control when rights will be wronged. But you can control your reaction. You can control how you respond. And James says, you need to respond in this way. Establish your hearts. Or as the NIV puts it, stand firm. Don't lose heart. Why? And this is so very important for us to understand. Because the coming of the Lord is at hand. What does that mean? It means that as sure as the The rain will fall. Jesus is coming back. From our perspective, it might seem like it's taking a long time. Hurry up, Lord Jesus. But his coming is at hand, Scripture says. From the perspective of of eternity, from the perspective of the fact that our life is really a, a mist here and then gone, the Lord's coming is at hand. And that has to affect, that has to affect Church, it has to affect how we live. 
We are today, and the church has been for the last 2,000 years, living in the last days. Paul and Peter were living in the last days. We're living in the last days. It's God's intention that we live like Jesus could come back at any moment. And this has implications. Thinking back to what we just, what James just talked about, what Jesus said, don't store up more stuff. Stuff that will rot and be burned away when Jesus comes. Instead, spend your wealth on making sure the people around you are ready for His coming. The Lord's coming changes how we live and how we spend. So don't store up more stuff. Be like the farmer who trusts God with what he cannot control, but honors God with what he can control. Establish your heart. Stand firm. Live differently than the world. And then verse 9, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. There's judgment coming to those who grumble against other brothers. James mentions they're grumbling against one another in the midst of their struggles and oppression and injustice. They weren't standing firm. They were complaining. And he simply says, don't. And this is something you can control. Don't do that. Remember, the judge is standing at the door. You want to be found faithful when he comes back. When you're walking through a struggle, when you're suffering some injustice, there are many things, various and sundry things, that feel completely out of your control. Things you can't do anything about. Attitudes and the attitudes and actions of other people are probably top of the list for us. We can't do anything about those. But what can we do? James is saying, be like the farmer, be patient. First, trust God with what you can't control. But second, honor God with what you can control. Even though the farmer is dependent on God for the rain, that doesn't mean he just sits back and does nothing, right? He plants crops, he works the crops. He's honoring God with what he can control. And there are things in every context we walk through in in times of suffering and struggles and trials, there are things that we can control. And and just so we're clear, by we can control, I mean in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can control. We've been given the power of the Spirit to overcome in our life. And with His power, we can control. By God's grace, we can control our response. That's the biggest thing we can, just how are you responding to suffering? Talk about that in a minute. We can control our thoughts and our words and our actions. And so as you walk through the struggles of life, I want to urge you, don't try to control the things that are out of your control. Don't stress about the things that are out of your control. Trust in a good God, in a wise God, a sovereign God, as we talked about last week. And then identify, clearly identify what you can control, your own response, and honor God with that. And trust that like the farmer the Lord of the harvest will bring about the harvest in due time. He'll bring about the end. It'll come to an end. He'll deal with it. That's the first picture. Like a a patient farmer waiting for the harvest, the Lord is coming. The second picture that James gives is that of of the prophet. The patience of the prophet. Verse 10. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, going directly to the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. 
The Old Testament prophets are a group that underwent a great deal of suffering. We don't have time to go through that. They were persecuted and they were surrounded by injustice. But they were patient in the midst of their sufferings. And this wasn't a passive patience, a do-nothing patience. They didn't sit back and just wait. The prophets were on the front line. They spoke out against injustice. They spoke about the mercy of God and the judgment of God in the midst of struggle. They were God's messengers. They spoke in the name of the Lord. Let me ask this. Is that our response to suffering? Is that our response to suffering? To speak in the name of the Lord. Our own suffering. To let people know that even in suffering, God is good. And that Jesus Christ is coming back to right all wrongs. Is that our response? It's certainly not the response of the vast majority of people. And unfortunately, many Christians in the face of suffering don't speak in the name of the Lord. Instead, they and we speak against the Lord. We can even take the name of the Lord in vain. We can reject Him. Instead of trusting Him in the midst of our own suffering, we blame Him for our suffering. It's His fault. It's the way many in this world deal with suffering. Many respond, including believers. There's a different way to respond to suffering. You know, I've seen people who've suffered in ways that I, I can't imagine. They've suffered tragic, sometimes violent losses. Great injustices have been done. And I've seen them, like the prophets, persevere and continue to speak in the name of the Lord. They continue to represent God even, and get this, even and especially in the midst of their suffering. I'm greatly inspired by an older missionary couple that Christina and I got to know a number of years ago. Herb and Elsie Purnell were their names. Elsie's gone to be with the Lord, and Herb is currently a professor emeritus at Biola University. They had been missionaries in Thailand for many years. They had given their early lives, their early lives with their children, to serve the Lord in the, with the Mian people in, in Thailand. And when we met them, they, they were giving their later lives to help pre- prepare families to go overseas. They had raised children on the mission field, and, and now they, 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 they were there to share their experiences, to help young couples with, with small kids like Christine and I. They spoke to us in the name of the Lord They were God's representatives in Thailand, and they continued to be God's representatives in the United States. And then tragedy struck. In 1988, their 26-year-old daughter was abducted from a Pasadena shopping mall. From the parking lot there, she was robbed, raped, and murdered. I can't imagine the pain that they went through. I have a 25-year-old daughter, and I can... Think about it, but I can't imagine that hitting, how that hit them. The injustice of it all. They'd given their lives to serve the Lord. And our Christian culture would want you to believe that because you've given your life to Christ, you should be immune from suffering. But it ain't so. It's not true. This is a fallen world full of pain and sorrow much of which we have no ability to understand. And certainly, we have no ability to control. And we as believers are clearly not immune. 
And even and especially in the midst of suffering and injustice, we're called to trust in the Lord, to wait patiently for His coming when justice will be served. And that's what Herb and Elsie Purnell did. The men who raped and killed their daughter were caught. And I was awestruck and overwhelmed when I heard they went to visit these men in jail. Why? To speak in the name of the Lord. To offer God's love and forgiveness to the men who had taken so much from them. Now that, brothers and sisters, is crazy from the world's perspective. That the world and even the church, many of the church will never understand. But I believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Herb and Elsie Purnell were able to persevere in the face of great suffering. They trusted God more than they trusted their own circumstances. They persevered and they continued to speak in the name of the Lord. And later, when their house burnt down and when Elsie was diagnosed with cancer, they continued to persevere and trust the Lord. And because of that, they were able to experience great blessing. They experienced the compassion and mercy of God. How do I know that? I know that in two ways. First, I know it because I've heard their story. I've heard them say how God was faithful in the midst of their pain and their struggle. What God did through their suffering. But I also know it because of our next example of patience and what James says about him. Now we turn to really the Bible's poster child for perseverance in the midst of suffering. The patience of Job. Verse 11. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard Job's perseverance. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, we don't have time to detail the suffering and the story all that Job went through. Most of us know the story. We know that Job lost everything. Everything was taken from him. His possessions, his family, even his health. And we know, that the Lord fi- and we know what the Lord finally brought about in the end. We know that Job was restored. His tragic loss, he got, got it back. But it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight. You know, some people like to, in the book of Job, read the, read the beginning and the end. I recently read through the whole thing. It's grueling. 42 chapters. When is it going to end? Why is this happening? For 42 chapters, and he gets to the end. And Job says, in verse, 40, in verse 5 of chapter 2, sorry, I know what I'm going to read. Chapter 42, verse 5. He says this, I had heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes see you. But now my eyes see you. Get what Job is saying there? The whole point of the story of Job is that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And because of Job's great loss, his tragedy, his suffering because of the lowness that he was brought to, he was able to experience the full measure of God's compassion, of God's mercy. Job saw it. That's the end that Job gets to. God is full of mercy and compassion. 
Now, it takes 42 difficult chapters to get there. Job had to persevere, persevere, persevere. He had to trust the Lord. And we have to trust the Lord. We have to trust that He will judge the wicked. We have to trust that He will return and and right all that's been made wrong. So when you experience suffering, I would urge you to remember this is not the end. Trust God. Both the judgment of the Lord and the Lord Himself will come. So first, don't act like the unbelieving rich who put their trust in in their wealth. Don't hoard and cheat and and live a life of self-indulgence. Instead, use your wealth for God's purposes and God's glory. And then, like the farmer, trust God with what you can't control. And honor God with what you can control, your own response to, to life's suffering, to life's pain. And then, like a prophet who in the midst of suffering continued to speak in the name of the Lord, continued to represent the Lord Jesus Christ in this world, this world that's full of pain and this world that's full of suffering, this world that needs the mercy and compassion of our Lord. And like Job, you do these things, if you persevere, you'll experience, you'll personally experience that compassion and that mercy of God. God's word for us today, no matter your circumstances, persevere, hang in there, trust me. It doesn't matter what the situation is. Trust in the Lord. I'm going to pray, and Chad's going to lead us in our final song, we're going to sing a, a hymn, a, a deep and meaningful hymn. Great is thy faithfulness. Remember, we can persevere. The only way we can persevere is because we believe and we trust that he is faithful. Because he's a God of love and compassion and mercy. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you will judge the wicked. Thank you that you're coming to bring us to yourself. Thank you that you'll take care of all of this, Lord. And I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would have that perseverance that comes from you, that comes from that the surety of the knowledge of the Spirit that lives and dwells within us, that we would persevere in, in so much struggle and pain and suffering that this world has to offer. That we'd use what you've given us for your honor and for your glory and we would persevere. Be with us as we continue to worship you in Christ's name.